Welcome all you cats and kittens. It's my Carol Baskin. Uh, welcome to the Roller on the Barrel Show. I am the co-host, the Barrel Roller Matthew Bernard. I'm joined by That's right. The other co-host, Swamp Box Frias. So good to see you, Barrel Roller. I miss your face. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh tonight we got a good one. We got the Crestline. Highlanders from the Southern California Vintage Baseball League. They just won the championship. We're going to have about four of those gents in here. Uh, a couple of things we want to go over before uh, they start coming in the room. Mm, lozenge. Let's just say my health hasn't been great uh, for the last couple of months, but uh, the hot tub's fresh, and I think it's think things are going to start turning around <laughs> feel it feel it uh so first thing we want to go over is a vintage baseball community recently lost very recently lost uh rick skaronsky uh sawbones as he was known uh he was the umpire for the bay city independence uh not for a long time uh and he took a hold of that and he fell in love with it and the man would just read up everything he could to make sure that he was putting out an authentic performance as the umpire, knew all the rules, was fair. I uh, screwed over Jeff Rawl at the captain's match one year. Uh, he he <laughs> he'd been he'd been battling cancer for a very long time. Uh, when they gave him a diagnosis. They told him he did not have very long to live, and he lived much longer than they said he was going to. So he moved down to Texas to be in the warm weather and uh, and did what he could and uh, did not waste a day, did not waste a second of what he had. Uh, so we just wanted to do a little tribute out to Rick. Uh, if you go back in Season 2, I think it's Episode 17, I did interview Rick and uh, he explicitly told me beforehand that we're not going to talk about his illness. So we did not, and it does not come up in, in the episode, but uh, I, I sure was honored to talk to him and it was kind of difficult to stay away from the subject to tell you the truth. Uh, but what I do have here is a recording of Rick and I have played this a couple of times on, on previous episodes, but I have a, a copy of Rick playing my country tis of thee and his harmonica. Uh, he did that during his episode. So uh, we're going to go ahead and play that. And then we're going to pause uh, for a couple of seconds of silence out of respect for sawbones.
And as Rick would want us to do, play ball. Oh, time to roll around the barrel. Talking to vintage baseball players from coast to coast and border to border. And we're going all the way out to the West Coast today. Talking to the recently crowned champions of the Southern California Vintage Baseball League, the Crestline Highlanders. Uh, they will be joining us shortly. Uh... But before they get in here, we're going to talk about a couple of things. But Rudy, like we said, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Anything uh, anything exciting going on? Uh, no, Trick or Treat was a success. And uh, yeah, that, uh, heading into prime holiday season. Everyone knows what that's like. So yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, it's, it's Thanksgiving uh, season. But at this household, it's Christmas season. Uh, we didn't wait because last year we went on vacation. So we were down in Disney. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember exactly when it was in December. It was a couple of weeks before Christmas. And, uh, so we did not bother putting up Christmas decorations except for the trees last year because we were so busy with everything else. And we didn't experience a Christmas, uh, a, a normal traditional christmas last year so uh we said as soon as halloween's done it's christmas for us and we don't care how you feel about it rudy i know that you're big into decorating your house with the lights and you're in your new house uh how long ago did you start the plan for what you were about to do uh let's just say that i got drone aerial footage of my house uh about a month ago and have been strategically planning uh, what uh, my vision is. And just like you, we didn't get to do last Christmas up the way we wanted to because we were in the process of showing our home to be sold. Oh. So we couldn't put lights out. We couldn't do do it up like we had done in the past. So this year it's no holds barred. That's and right. it's going gonna, it's gonna to get creepy. It's going to get amazing. When is... Uh... When is the deadline for you to be able to start celebrating Christmas at your house? I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to hang all of the lights. I am not allowed to turn on a light until after Thanksgiving. So. So like the weekend after, or the day after, or Thanksgiving night. So Friday after Thanksgiving right. <laughs> is when the 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 flip is getting switched. We usually we usually do that where we do not put up the Christmas trees until the weekend after Thanksgiving. That's kind of like our tradition. So the trees probably won't go up until after Thanksgiving. But I did put our giant wreath, lit, lit up wreath. It's like, oh, I want to say it's five feet by a couple of feet, three feet maybe. It's a big one. I put that out on our house today. And... uh I'll probably just, you know, a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there. Hey, uh, I love it. we got a lot of people that always ask us, what are the, the most downloaded episodes and all of that stuff? And I don't like giving out stats and numbers one, because I don't know them because I only have Podbean numbers. Podbean actually, uh, accounts for depending on the month around 40% of our downloads even though it's our home base, but we're pretty, 
pretty even with what we do on Apple. And then, you know, there's so many other places out there that, that you can listen to podcasts on. So when people are wondering how many downloads our episodes get, I'm not going to give you numbers, but I will tell you everything's over 400 downloads an episode. So <laughs> if that gives you, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just saying that our worst episode is over 400 downloads. So, uh, approximately just so you know, but, uh, you want to know our top 10 downloads on with the countdown countdown. Down. I'm going to give you the top 12, even though I can only see a top 10. I just happen to know what 12 and 11 are because of them recently being knocked out of the top 10. Ooh. Okay, so the top 12, so number 12, most downloaded episodes on Podbean, is actually the play call of the Addison Mountain Stars and the Awkwards from Florida from the Ohio Cup. Were you the one that was calling that with me? Yep, that was that was, that was our, our first match called on Saturday. Yep. Yeah, so that one took off immediately. Cause I remember I sent a message out to you and to Adam, like, what's the deal? Why is this, why is this going? Like it's going so fast. And, uh, so yeah, so that's our only play by play that's in the top is, is that one. And, uh, their other play by play, cause we did Addison against, I don't remember who it was, but that one also has a lot of downloads, uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, number, probably the Johnson factor. Uh, number 11 is uh, your brother, Ian Frias. Uh, he, he, he had been in the top 10 basically the entire time since we did that episode or I did that episode. And yeah. uh, that just got knocked out uh, recently. So he's number 11. Number 10 uh, is from season two, episode 30. And that was with Eric Miklich from 19th Century Baseball. Uh, no surprise there. East, East coast guy, uh, very popular, very well liked. Uh, so no surprise on that one. Uh, number nine is the one that just recently knocked your brother out of the top 10. It was an episode that we got done with and we texted each other. Cause we always text each other after these episodes. Cause we always say goodbye for real. We say yeah. goodbye for real at the end of these episodes. And we send a text back and forth about, you know, how it went, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And we were over the moon after this episode. It was the Keith Boomer Walters from the Rochester Grangers. And we did the special guest with Michelle O'Connell uh, ahead of his interview talking about the new woman's team, the Maricopa Maidens, I believe, from That's Arizona. Right. Uh, that is the ninth most downloaded episode of all time. And uh, we're not surprised by that because we felt really good about it. That's a good episode. Uh, there is so much different content in that. We we laughed so hard in that one, we cried. It's the first time that's ever happened to me. Uh, number number eight, and I know our guests, we have all, do we have all four of them waiting? We only have three here. Okay. Yeah, if you could just send them a message, that we'll let them in as soon as we're done here, and it gives them a chance to have number four. Get in. I got you. Okay. Uh, number eight is Captain Ed Schumann of the Canal Fulton Mules. Uh, 
from season two, episode 27. Uh, very popular episode right from the beginning. Captain Ed, a great guy. I think uh, you and I talked to him at the Ohio Cup a couple years ago, and then that's when I set yep. the date for our one-on-one interview. So what a great dude. What a great dude. You know Captain Ed better than I do. What do you got to say about Captain Ed? Uh, he's an ex- he's he's a he's an extended family member. He's a he's an honorary freer. Captain Ed, and and his 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 lovely brothers, are are uh, like big brothers to me. So they're the best. Uh, number seven is one of the last episodes I did before you joined. I think uh, it's Jeff Kraut Bamer from the Fillmore Fun Guy in Minnesota. Yep. Uh, Season three, episode 13. See how these are like relatively newer, newer episodes. That trend will, will die quickly. Uh, episode or, uh, number six all time is season one, episode 29. It's Jeff Inc. Hicks of the Saginaw old golds. Uh, no surprise there. Jeff, one of the better vintage baseball players in Michigan. And, uh, he plays the fly. He's played with a handful of teams, so I'm not surprised uh, at how many downloads. He had number five. Number five is a world tourney special. Number eight from 2021. This is when I w- <laughs> this is when I was set up in the bar at the what is that the Pink Pony. The, yeah, the the Pink Palace. Right? The Pink Palace, yeah. whatever it is. There's ponies, there's palaces. So it's Mike Marbles Feeney from the Canton Corn Shuckers. These were just short, short little talkabouts, but he turned heel on the base of the independence <laughs> in that episode, <laughs> and that's why it has so many downloads. That's the reason. That's the reason. <laughs> The nicest guy in our community <laughs> turning heel. Turned heel <laughs> and made no yeah. apologies for it. Even in person. I saw oh, yeah. I saw it in person when he talked to some independents about it. Uh, number four is a roller out the barrel extra. Number four, when I interviewed Daniel Jones about 21st century town ball, the town yep. ball community came came to the plate and downloaded that episode a lot as well as the Finnish baseball community, but a ton of downloads on that. Number three, which had been number two for a long time, but now number three, season two, episode two, Philip Coco Hayes of the Canton Corn Shuckers. That's my favorite episode. It's a good episode. Uh, yeah, there's uh, there's some serious subject matter in that episode that we were not afraid to approach. I was afraid before and afraid after, but during I was, I was just in the moment. So it was, it was, that was great. Number two is the first episode I ever did. And you were present in on that episode foreshadowing season one, episode one, Mike Marbles Feeney, the actual interview of Mike Marbles Feeney. So when so much fun, why is Mike Feeney on your show so much? Well, I don't know because everybody downloads his every time <laughs> everything that he does. Uh, and then number one, we've referenced many times, season two, episode twenty-three, Anthony Canino. It's not even close. He's it's not even close. 
Uh, he's destroyed everybody. He'll always be our I number mean, one episode. <laughs> yeah. I, I stand by the theory that he listens to his own episode three times a day. <laughs> Does that count? He's got to do it from different devices. How does that count? How can you register I that? I don't know. I bet he does. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start bringing in the Crestline guys. But, hey, guys, make sure that you go out there and you download the Podbean app and you rate us, re- download every single episode. I don't give a rat's ass if you're not going to listen to every episode. Download all of them. Uh, rate, Give us every five-star review and hearts and give us everything you can uh, on every platform, no matter what platform you listen to. This stuff matters. I don't know how, and I don't know why, but it matters. And uh, so please uh, continue to support the podcast by liking what we do. Acknowledge Acknowledge me. Is that what Roman Reigns is doing now? (laughs) That's my fave. I love it. I love it. All right, Rudy. Bring him in. Uh, We we are currently joined by three individuals. Uh, They are in the room. All right, we're being joined by Christopher Dodd, uh, Jim Sterick, uh, Joe Bilheimer, and we're waiting for Wes. Now, hey, Wes isn't going to be able to make it. Son of a bitch, Wes. All right, I'll cross him off. (laughs) I prefer to be referred to by my vintage nickname of Ripper. Okay, Joe, uh, Ripper. We got Glovebox, <laughs> Ripper, and Ace with us. Uh, Greetings. Uh, good to see. Well, I see one of us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wonder who that is. That would be Ace. A- a Jim, oh, catch what? Jim, you look like an Ace. Can I say that? Sam. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> Jim is an Ace. Hey, we wanted to get you guys on. Uh, and acknowledge you. Oh my God, there's a trend. Uh, we wanted to talk to you about your recent Southern California Vintage Baseball Championship. Uh, the Crestline Highlanders is your club. Uh, let's start off with the captain, uh, Chris Dodd. Tell no, us, tell us how Ripper, the Ripper's the captain. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I just tried to promote you. Oh well, I appreciate that, but. All right, Chris, never mind. I don't want to talk to you. Joe? Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, Ripper, please tell us uh, about the beginnings of the Crestline Highlanders and how uh, your the structure is of your league that you currently play in. Uh, sure thing. Uh, thank you, uh, first of all, very much for hosting us. Uh, letting us come on and, and talk about our league and our recent uh, championship victory. Um, I am, of the three of us, the most recent addition to the Crestline Highlanders. I, I joined very shortly after the club formed. Um, I, I joined in 2018. Uh, Chris and Jim uh, were two of the original members uh, from, I believe, 2016 or 2017. But, um, yeah, the the SoCal Vintage Baseball League has been around for, well, we've had three seasons now. And our team, the Crestline Highlanders, uh, have been 
in the SoCal Ventures Baseball Championship each of those first three seasons. And we are located, uh, as you may know, in Southern California, in the city of Crestline. Uh, that is up in the San Bernardino Mountains, um, over by Lake Arrowhead. Our home field is in a little town called Twin Peaks, uh, nestled in the mountains there at about 6,000 foot of elevation. And so uh, we have a little bit of weather going on right now. Our field might be getting snowed on, actually. But uh, <laughs> regarding our, uh, our league, um, we have, I want to say, eight clubs at this point. So we have Crestline. We have the Lake Arrowhead Loggers. We have the Riverside Smudge Pots. Uh, we have the Temecula Deer Bros. We have the Paris Prospectors. We have the Lordsburg Trolleymen. Uh, they're in the city of Laverne. Lordsburg is a historical name of Laverne. We have the Fullerton Fire Knockers, uh, which I believe is a term used for firefighting uh, way back when. Uh, we also have the, the eighth one is escaping me right now. Uh, Chris, Redondo Beach. Who am I Redondo Beach. Ah, uh, yes. Redondo. The Redondo Beach Wharf Rats. And obviously they're in Redondo. Um, so these eight clubs make up the SoCal Vintage Baseball League. We play uh, each of the clubs twice throughout the season. Um, and this year, our playoff structure was formatted by seeding. So we had the top six of the eight make the playoffs. Uh, the top two got a bye. And uh, numbers three, uh, three played six, four played five. Going into the semifinals uh, against those top two seeded opponents, um, then on to the championship match. And we were very fortunate to uh, sneak into the playoffs. I want to say we were the uh, we were the four seed. Um, so we played our quarterfinal match against uh, Riverside, the Smudge Pots. Uh, we played then our semifinal match against the Lake Arrowhead Loggers. And we, no, excuse me, uh, we played the loggers in the finals and uh, it was an all mountain final. Um, and we came out victorious in that regard. So it was, it was very fun. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Each of the past two times we had been in the finals, we were uh, bested by the Riverside smudge pots. So to beat them in the playoffs to advance was uh, very satisfying. And, uh, it was a hard fought match. It was a very tight match. Our championship, um, our pitcher, our, excuse me, our hurdler uh, for that game, uh, his, he's named Slider, uh, James Cassidy, and he accomplished something very rare in that match. Uh, you can look up a stat called the true win. And it's only been done a handful of times by major leaguers. Uh, Clayton Kershaw did it once. Noah Syndergaard did it once. But what the true win is, is when a pitcher, in our case a hurdler, throws a complete game, and hits more home runs than total runs allowed. So Slider hit two home runs. He pitched a complete game and allowed one run. And he got us that victory um, by accomplishing the feat of the true win. That is, I've never heard that before. Yeah. That's amazing. That is, that is yeah, which is to say that he put us right on his back and carried us across the finish line himself. Without without yeah. him, yep. you guys are nothing. You're losing to Riverside and again, going home. <laughs> was he was he humble in this uh, achievement, or or is this something you're going to hear Mary. about? For, 
okay, no, well, we tell him he's no, he's an extremely humble uh, young man. Uh, he's very talented. Our our club, uh, we have our age ranges from about 22 years old up to our uh, grizzly vet, Mr. Chris Dodd, glove box here with us today. Um, I think our average age is probably in the upper 30s. Uh, the league age varies, you know, from club to club. Some clubs skew younger, some clubs skew older, you know, talent levels all across the board. Um, but yeah, uh, Slider did an amazing job. We had a great season and uh, we came out on top. Uh, Chris Dodd, let me ask you this. Uh, what are the rules? Sure. What is what is the year that you guys apply to your league? And uh, how many games do you play outside of your league during a season? Uh, 1886 rules. Um, this past year, we've it's just been, you know, playing the other seven teams. Um, we haven't uh, done any, haven't did any traveling yet. Um, we have a tournament that uh, is scheduled for uh, February, the week of February 24th, against uh, two Bay Area teams. Um, so that's uh, that's in the future there. So. Does February 24th count as? This season or next season? No, no, it, it's it's an off season type thing. It's oh, just okay. uh, something that the the Bay Area. I, I know in one of the uh, recent podcasts that uh, I believe it was the Pelicans did with you. Um, they had mentioned something about a desire of the North playing the South, and that's basically what this is going to encompass. Oh, so this is uh, if all goes well on February twenty fourth. This is something the two uh, areas might get together and do once uh, once a year. Well, hopefully that that's our hope. We, we did do something similar going back a few years where uh, Oakland sent down a team uh, when we were in our formative years, formative season. And they uh, spent the weekend down in our resort town area, and uh, we played two games against them that weekend. That was a lot of fun, too. Similar type of idea. Uh, Jim, yep. you're, you were that just... That is... Uh, yep. Oh, excuse me. Go on. Uh, you were just, uh, I was just telling everybody that that was Jim Sterick. Am I in or, am I saying your last name right, Jim? Yeah, Sterick. Sterick? Sterick. I'll say Sterick 10 more times. Sterick. I'll put an <laughs> I in there. Uh, Jim, you're one of the original members of the Highlanders. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, tell me how you came across this uh, 1885, 86 vintage baseball into your life and uh, what the experiences were when you were beginning. Yeah. So uh, a, a lot of us here, pretty much everyone on the team and in the league has played baseball or even still plays baseball in other leagues. Um, I had played obviously as, as a kid and growing up and played in some wood bat leagues uh, down when I lived in Anaheim. And when I moved up the hill, I didn't play and there's not a lot of baseball going on up there in the arrowhead uh area up in the mountains and um, we were going to have a kid and we just moved up there and I had a little bit of spare time and my wife actually saw a Facebook post by Wes who I wish was here but I know he has a lot going on too. Uh, so he was looking to recruit. He, Wes was the uh, the founder of SoCal Vintage Baseball really because he came from the, the north uh, team, the league in the north, northern California moved down here and was like, why don't they have this down here? I mean, the weather's even better. There's a huge, you know, well of people willing to play. And he kind of was just founding the league and saw this ad and it was like, hey, play baseball how it's supposed to be, you know, uh, with, 
with the right kind of bat, the right kind of ball, with the smaller mitt, and all these different rules. And I said, "Wow, that sounds <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun." Uh, so I showed up to practice. I think there was like four of us there <laughs> at the at the original recruit. Um, and I still remember the very first ball that got thrown at me just about hit me in the face because you're you're so used to catching with the web of a glove uh-huh. instead of with your hand. Uh, and so I said, wow, this is going <laughs> to, this is going to have a learning curve <laughs> as a guy who's, who's caught, you know, a million baseballs, I just dropped the first one coming at me. So, uh, it was, it's, it's been a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. How would you rate your personal performance in the heritage cup? Oh boy. In the final game, I played pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. I had a couple of, uh, ground balls that were in the routine category that got, booted or knocked down but no time to make the play uh, made there a are no plays routine and... plays in vintage baseball <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> true that's true I mean not, not enough to run scored or anything but every time you take away an out boy outs are gold in this league if you have a play you can make an out you gotta make it uh, giving them an error a runner on base is just brutal um, and something really interesting on that note, if you look through the 1886 Spalding rulebook, on the very back it has actual league stats from the era. And fielding percentages in pro baseball were in the range of 750, 750 to 800. It's no, it's no wonder that fielding percentage is still a stat that we look at, even though now they're all you know, 0.982 versus 0.984. Who cares? Uh, yeah. It's pretty much automatic in modern baseball. But back then, you know, you'd have pro fielders with a 700 fielding percentage and pro fielders with a 900 fielding percentage. And that's a big difference, you know. So it's it's just an interesting era of baseball. Ace, did you look up but that yeah. fielding did you look up that fielding stat before or after <laughs> you booted two balls in the tournament? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say before. <laughs> You know, that's common knowledge. He knew that. He did the common research. knowledge. Yeah. Everybody knows. <laughs> Chris, Chris, how did you yep. end up? And uh, how did you end up in this this wonderful world of vintage baseball? What was your journey well, like? Well, it was very similar um, uh, uh, as to um, what Ace had said. Uh, Wes was uh, one of the members on a softball team that I have up here uh, on the mountain, and uh, he had come to me and asked me, "Hey, uh, there's this league uh, that I'm thinking about starting vintage baseball." He had played up in the uh, Northern California area, and so he, he described it to me, and I thought, "Wow, you know, that sounds kind of cool." So let's uh, let's give it a shot. So um, we went and we ordered our gloves, and you know, when the gloves arrived, it's like, "Wow, okay." <laughs> we'll go ahead and uh, uh, take it from there. Um, and then, of course, we uh, found out that the bats were 40 ounce, you know, which is about a half pound heavier than a regular bat, you know. And, uh, um, it, uh, you know, the baseball felt the baseball. It's same size, basically. It's just that the, uh, the core of the baseball is a little bit softer than a regular baseball, so it tends to break down a little bit faster. Get, it gets softer as the game progresses. So, um, so I said I was in and, uh, like Ace, I think I was, uh, Ace and I were one of the four or two of the four that actually showed up to that first practice. So a four person practice happens all <laughs> the time. Those are terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we call that a good turnout. For the Columbus <laughs> Capitals, so. I, uh, you know what I here in Michigan, we, they have, uh, only six, 1864 and 1867. 
And uh, I don't even understand why these teams practice. Rudy, you're you're the captain of a 67. Why do you guys even practice? I can understand why 1886 teams need to practice. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. It makes perfect sense to me. Why are 64 okay. and 67 teams practicing? Um, I, I answer your question with a question. Have you ever seen the Clubs Capitals play? Yeah, but they just so like everybody we, else. Practice so doesn't we, help we you. Practice, <laughs> we practice. Well, it, it helps the four people that show up. Uh, it's, the, it's the other, well, if it's the world tournament, it's the other 13 guys that decide they want to come play vintage baseball that show up that are out there losing it for everybody. They know who they are. <laughs> they're more they're more in the LARPing category than the baseball category. Nailed it. That's it. Right there. But if you, Those are vintage baseball LARPers. Uh, Joe, let me ask you this. If you don't, if you don't practice 1886 baseball, you're behind. Are you not? So, yes. Uh, you can tell when we're knocking some of the rest off. Um, we have, you know, as, as Jim mentioned, you know, fielding is so imperative, uh, you know, hitting, well, we can all hit, we can all swing a bat, even though it's heavier, but the, literally catching the ball is very, very challenging. And if you're not getting adequate amount of reps, it's really going to show. Heck, even if you are practicing a a lot, you're still not going to be anywhere near perfect. Um, But admittedly, the Highlanders don't practice together too much. But uh, as I think Jim mentioned, we have a bunch of guys that play on various teams around Southern California. And so, you know, we get our reps in here and there uh, and just have to kind of adjust to that smaller vintage club during during our league. It looks I like, like that you're staying, you're staying active in other ways. And then you can come together for vintage baseball where, as opposed to just some guys sitting on their butt and then trying to come out there and make it happen. Yeah. Oh, we got those two and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks Rudy, like, it seems like you're talking about specific people. In your mind. Hey, uh, you know, I'm working through <laughs> some things, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you guys had uh, 12 uh, on the roster. For the for the cup, the Heritage Cup. Let me ask you this straight out, blunt question: You guys, do you got some guys that only show up to the important matches? No, we have, you know, some guys uh, that are there at every match. We have some guys that are there three quarters of the matches. Um, unfortunately, we did have a couple injuries recently. Uh, well, last year, um, and that rendered our roster a little bit um, handy handcuffed because we didn't know if they were going to be in a state where they could, where they could play this season. So we kept them on the roster. Um, our league has a roster cap of 15. And so, you know, those 15 spots, they're pretty precious. Um, but we had uh, one guy who just destroyed his shoulder on a, on a play. There was a collision at first base and he fell down and landed on his shoulder and just, ripped into shreds had to have surgery in the off season last year we weren't sure if he was going to be able to come back and play this year so we kept him on the roster but he's just had to be rehabbing the entire season that's one of our spots one of our guys uh, our starting shortstop actually had um covid and so he stayed home uh to recover and i believe we had one other individual that just couldn't make it for the championship so you know we were uh, we have a very committed squad. Let's put it that way. Uh, do you guys 
pay your wives a little bit extra because you have all white uniforms? Like, why, why do you guys do that to your wives? Oh, let me, let me jump in on this one. Okay. <laughs> so we have, hey, been pretty you're sure. a hurler. You don't even get dirty, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but hey. I work harder. Cold under that butt. Here comes a Tide commercial. No, so it, it was a, it was a actual. I, I stood up on my on my soapbox and said we need white uniforms, and the reason is we wear real wool uniforms, uh, real era specific, authentic uniforms that are not cheap. You're not buying them again, um, and we play in the summer months in the daytime in SoCal and a lot of our locations. Temecula on a Saturday in August, forget about it. You need a white uniform to survive. Um, I think uh-huh. it's a, I think it's literally an advantage for us to be playing in white versus, you know, are uh, all the other clubs, are all the other clubs wearing wool? Yeah, that's a, it's a league requirement. So everyone has to wear these uniforms that have a strict requirement, wool, polyester blend, whatever it is. Are the, the smudge pots, a, uh... are there smudge pots? Is If I'm getting their team name right, the, the smudge pots, uh, are they wearing black pants? Black oh, yeah. pants and gray. They actually do themselves an additional disservice. Um, they have a, a shield on the chest of their uh, jerseys, which is an additional layer uh, that they're the only ones that have it. It looks so good, but oh my goodness gracious. It, you know, Riverside, Temecula, in, uh, uh, like Jim said, August, you're going to be pushing 105 degrees. Um, it sucks. Plus, but, I don't uh, think we have a, a league. Go on. Uh, those shields aren't even accurate at that time, are they? Like that started real early. I don't think by '86 anybody's wearing those shields. Not. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's not even necessary for an accurate depiction. I think they've moved on to to a, a somewhat of a uniform. Am I wrong on that, Rudy? Uh, no. Well, I, I don't think so. However, I mean, we're used to seeing clubs that opt for. A, a sharper looking uniform that is not like historically accurate, especially here in the Midwest where we're seeing, we're seeing 67 and 64 teams wearing knickers and three quarter sleeve shirts. And that's not accurate, but you know, we're, it's, it's, yeah. Hey, I don't, you guys had, you guys had me at wool and 105 degrees. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I've been there, done that. Uh, you guys are better people for it. I'm sorry for. Uh, I appreciate that. I'm sorry for whoever I interrupted. Uh, I believe that was Ripper. You can go ahead with your thought. I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. Thank you. Um, so we, in order to keep all of the clubs uh, looking as period specific as we can, uh, we have a league-approved uniform source. Um, if you want to look them up, that's a very interesting operation. Uh, it's all handmade, custom. Uh, you know, I had to get my wife to bust out the um, measuring tape, you know, and measure my waist, measure my arms, measure my legs, and send it in. And the, the uniform maker is KP Weaver. Um, mm. And the, she works in congruence with a hat maker. Um, so we get all of the designs you know, people can be creative with their designs, but they have to be approved by the league. Um, so we're not having anything too extravagant or flamboyant or, you know, we want to keep it 
uh, as period specific as possible while letting the teams have the freedom to design their own uniforms. It's interesting to hear of a league forming, uh, coming up with rules specifically to keep it as vintage as possible. That is amazing. <laughs> mm. uh, I, I appreciate that. that. <laughs> yeah, that was all Wes. You know, he's the founder, and he he got a taste of it in Bay Area vintage baseball, and he wanted to keep it as true as possible because, yeah, it's fun for us. You know, we love getting out there and getting after it. Sure. But in order to grow the league, we have our cranks, our fans who come to the games, and we want to put on a good uh, spectacle for them. So we try to use the period specific vocabulary we uh keep it a gentleman's game we shake hands we're not high-fiving we're trying not to fist bump you know we're trying to keep our our language uh pg if you will so yeah that's how you can tell the softball players over here in the midwest is when they're all high-fiving uh instead of shaking hands and yeah doing the the fist bumps and all that stuff you're like guys stop but you can't tell them yep uh oh yeah hey everybody if you want to go and check out the southern california vintage baseball league you can go to socalvbb.com that is their website you can see all the clubs all the fantastic uniforms you can see all of the effort they put into what they're doing out there I wish you guys were like in the next state over. Uh, oh man! <laughs> I watched. Did uh, you get a chance to see the LA Times article they did recently? I did. On I, our league, I saw that somebody shared that, and I haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, but yeah, I saw it existed. What? what uh, how'd that go in the inter- in the uh, newspaper article? Well, I'll let Chris expand a little bit, but LA Times came out and uh, used some very old vintage camera equipment to capture images during our some of the matches throughout the season. Uh, Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, unfortunately, I missed the game where uh, all the uh, photos were shot uh, with our team. I was in Las Vegas for my brother's wedding. But anyhow, um, the... Uh, um, the LA Times did come out. Uh, the uh, particular reporter was interested in doing a, a vintage story covering our vintage league. Um, he had a box camera from that was actually era correct, period correct, um, probably from 1880 or so. And he hadn't used it in 20 years. So this is, uh, uh, you know, in the age of digital photography now, it, he had to literally school himself, re-educate himself on, on how to use it. So the, uh, the pictures came out really well. And uh, Spectrum TV, I don't know if you've heard of Spectrum, if you have it back uh, in the Midwest or yep. not. But they actually picked up on the story, too, and and, uh, and, and gave us a pretty good piece of, uh, of publicity there on, on a Spectrum 1. So that was, that was kind of cool. Well, the second best bit of publicity you guys have ever gotten. You know, second best. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I did, um, <laughs> Ace... <laughs> Ace, was it 2019 when um when uh, uh yeah, CBS Kcal, or Kcal and CBS aired a aired a bit on us um, where they came up and and filmed man they had cameramen at risk in the game and they oh. caught some really amazing action like a like a diving one handed catch in the outfield to end an inning kind of stuff uh, and which they, never happens 
Yeah, which never happens, <laughs> but they happened to be there and caught it. And it, I mean, it made our league look even better than it is. Do you guys have uh, any of that? that, up, and that is any of that uploaded on YouTube? Yes, I believe it is. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I think our, our shortstop, Kentucky, actually made a sort of a leaping, barehanded grab on a chopper at shortstop, uh, and they, they captured that. As, it was a cool a cool game. It was um, a cool game, yeah. But, yeah, yeah but, if you guys uh, send us links to to any of that, we'll, we'll put it on our uh, newly made uh, podcast YouTube page because we're going to – we just want to add, add, add content so everybody can go to one place and, and check out all of this. Because uh, not a lot of clubs uh, are doing things like with video and, uh, you know, not really getting any record of the things they're doing video-wise. So we try to accumulate as much of that unless you want royalties, and then we can stop this conversation. <laughs> 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 there are actually several games that we've played that have been streamed live on YouTube. So I know right. those are out there too. Yeah. Riverside was really good about streaming live. Uh, the, the games, uh, the matches that they had. So, um, and they're complete games, yeah. you know, and, and they've got uh, different camera angles too, that they'll, uh, they'll use during the, uh, the streaming. So it's really they cool. Even had a, they even had a score in set showing you what inning it was and what the yeah. score was and all that. I don't know. How they did. So oh, like a fish that's the, yeah. yeah, that's the Riverside captain, uh, Chris Johnson. Um, his nickname is the Curator, as he goes around flea markets, yard sailing, vintage antique shops, and he just he has so much kit and swag, and he loves promoting uh, these type of things. I think he's in the education field, so he does a lot of this stuff for his schools. Um, we're very fortunate to have him in the league, uh, taking the really unnecessary steps. Uh, you know, but he wants to help build and promote the league. All the all the clubs, you know, want to assist in that regard. So it's a it's a league effort to grow the league. It's 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 not just you know one guy who's pushing everybody. It's a it's a coordinated effort. Are you guys getting your gloves from nineteenth century baseball? No, we get them from the Vintage Baseball Factory bbbf.com. Uh, the model is the Foxy Irwin, uh, the the Foxy Irwin one specifically. Uh, the Foxy Irwin two has slightly more padding, but it's actually harder to catch with because the ball kind of bounces out. So, but we can, you know, account for that by applying a healthy dose of pine tar to our gloves. Uh, you guys know <laughs> there's no such thing as a foreign substance. It's all legal, baby. So we we lather it up. Yeah, Chris's glove at first base. That thing looks like it's uh, it got seized on by a bull or something like that. It's just it's yeah. caked. Yeah. I love it. We don't we don't run across any foreign substances here in the Midwest. I don't think anybody we, you know what we need in the Midwest is eighteen eighty five and eighty six baseball is what we need over here. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. West Coast and East Coast, and in the middle it's it's a kind it's. They don't call it the middle for nothing. It's the middle. <laughs> We're the middle. <laughs> I've played a little bit of Civil War ball, the 1864 stuff before, you know, barehanded with that larger lemon peel ball. That's a lot of fun, too. And the, the rule difference is, you know, while it seems small, um, it impacts the game quite a bit. You know, we uh, the Spalding rules that we use in 1886, you know, 
you have to catch the ball on the fly, that sort of thing. But from my understanding, the Civil War rules, you know, you can catch it on a bounce and that's an out. Um, it just adds a different wrinkle. And it's all it's all good fun. Yeah, you can catch yeah, it on I a mean, bounce, fair or foul, or in foul. 64. Yep. Yeah, 67 is wow. just foul. Jeez. You know, exercise. It's something that we, we do quite a bit. Like barrel roller uh, is in Michigan where the predominantly 64 and 67. And here in Ohio, there are four 67 teams, and the rest are 64 bound. So, I mean, we don't really get a lot of variety. So it's wonderful for us to hear to hear y'all's experience, especially considering that you have formed a league that is functioning and, and doing very well. And, and yeah, it's, it's just really uh, part of the reason that I love this podcast is because it's like we no longer exist in silos in vintage baseball. For, yeah. for decades, it was just the Midwest and the East Coast, New York, and that was it. And now this is this is. I hope there are many, many people going to listen to this episode, so they can see that uh, vintage baseball is across the country, and you guys are thriving out there. That's exciting. You did mention that February is an off season. The the February event is an off season event. When is your season? When does it start? When does it end? So our season typically runs, I mean, it depends. So we had one, I guess you could call it a normal season. That was 2019. Um, 2020, uh, COVID delayed our start for a while. We had a truncated season. Uh, 2021? I think 2020, we just had a bunch of games together. 2021, we had a a full-fledged season, um, but I, I think it started a little late. And then 2022, uh, this season started a little late. But uh, typically it'll run like March through September. And we'll have one or two matches per month, um, typically on Saturday afternoons. Per team. Um, correct. Yeah, each team is playing one or two times per month on, on Saturday afternoons from March through uh, September. We'll usually have, um, if the schedule allows it, we'll take a break in July or August so people can, you know, go vacation with their families or whatever. So, you know, uh, rosters aren't negatively impacted by people not being there. Because uh, we, you know, forfeits are just so rough for us because we, we try to promote these games on uh, on Facebook or on, you know, Vaudeville Baseball is a page that is run by one of the members of the Riverside Smudge Pots. They take a lot of time and effort to put together um, – you know, custom copy for each game and put it out there to the cranks and, and get them to show up. So when it's a last minute cancellation, last minute forfeit, it's, it just really sucks um, for all the fans that come out to the games and get disappointed. So I was actually going to ask uh, how your attendance was. Cause we always have such issues, issues here with it. We, uh, we have a saying here in the Midwest that vintage baseball players love vintage baseball until Friday night. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they hate it Saturday morning. Don't they? Um, I think our best ever attended match was the the match that CBS News covered, um, the local CBS News, and I think we had about 300 cranks come out for that up no. in uh, Crestline. Um, the turnout for our recent championship, you know, we got two mountain teams, um, 
located very close to each other. A lot of us are, are, are friends um, for both of those teams. Everybody kind of knows everybody, small towns up there, you know. Uh, but I think we, we had about 150 people for that championship match, and it was not warm. You know, it was the coldest uh, coldest day of the fall thus far. It was in the, I think, upper 40s. Uh, low 50s at Yeah, at first pitch, and it didn't get warmer as the game progressed. Hey, I was looking at some of the pitchers uh, from the tournament, the Heritage Cup tournament, and I saw an umpire standing behind the pitcher. Are you using a two-umpire system, or is that where he's located? Good question. Um, so the sir, uh, that's our umpire, and we, we refer to him as the sir. Uh, it's a one-man crew, and initially we had the sir standing uh, kind of behind home plate, but off to the side. And it made for many inaccurate calls, especially on inside and outside. Um, plus, it's kind of a dangerous spot to be because, you know, the sir is just back there looking pretty, no mask, no nothing. And so we decided to alter the location of the sir by having him stand behind the hurler uh, so he has a better perspective for high, low, in, and out. Um, and then he's also closer to the bases as well to make those bang, bang plays. Um, and yeah, our sirs are, um, we have, for new sirs, we have a training class that takes place in the spring um, just to get them more familiarized with the terminology, with the specific rules. Um, but each club is required to um, acquire their own sir that will do their home games um, and travel if needed in case of, of somebody accidentally having to back out at the last minute. Um, and they can kind of dress up as flamboyant as they want. Uh, the pictures you saw, that's our sir, um, Darren, his nickname is, well, he used to be a ballist, uh, with us on the Highlanders club. Um, his nickname was sugar and, uh, he earned his nickname one weekend. Uh, he, he had an injury, so he was just serving a match for us, but he ended up having a, uh, diabetic episode when he was calling the game. So he had to sit oh, down, no. we gave him an apple. And, uh, you know, the next inning, he was fine. And so the next next weekend rolls around. He pulls up to the field. He gets out of his car. I yell across the field, what's up, sugar? And he didn't have a nickname yet. And he just looks at me and he goes, is that a reference to my diabetes? And I said, yes, it is. And the name just stuck. <laughs> I'm looking at the outfit he was wearing. And I almost want to say it reminds me of steampunk. Uh Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he is probably one of the more outgoing in his, uh, in his outfits that he puts together and yeah, he, he makes sure he has his cigar every match. <laughs> hey, uh, Jim, let me ask you a question. You look like you're sitting in a cubicle in an office somewhere with a plastic plant behind you. Uh, it's a real office, it's not a cubicle anymore. Are you done up? Are you calling people to ask them who they're voting for in this election? Is that what your job is? <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm an engineer. For for our list for our listeners out there, Jim has a has a headset on, so uh, often portrayed for like telemarketers. So, <laughs> so you had to get off one conference call onto this one. 
So oh, you're not know, calling please. people about the warranty on their vehicle and it's about to expire. <laughs> you're not, that, that's not what you're doing. You I'm, would never I'm admit to it. I'm calling people to see if they're interested in vintage <laughs> baseball. There you go. Is that indeed a plastic plant behind you? It is not. It is. I mean, there's a, oh, did you say the plant or the lamp? The, there's a lamp? lamp? I don't, no, no, I'm talking real, about the plant. plant. I love lamp. No, that's real. That's legit. How often? Hey Jim, how's your arm doing? <laughs> Jim got right. smoked by probably a, a 85 mile an hour fastball right hey, in his arm during the championship time, match. He didn't have a chance to move. When I'm when I'm 10 years older, it's going to be 100 miles an hour. <laughs> you guys have. Yeah, I moved about one inch. You guys have people bringing it 85 miles an hour. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This, this one so guy in particular. Not many. This one guy in particular yeah. does, and it's. it's like a shotgun in more ways than one. He has no idea where it's going. Oh, good. Excellent. Is that why you moved the sir? The sir's been moved behind the pitcher because of this one guy who throws an 85 (laughs) somewhere. Yeah. Barrel uh, uh, barrel roller. That's the exact reason that there's not an 80s team in the Midwest. We don't have guys tough enough to stand in at the plate and – Take a take a shot like that. So well, the worst like, part is how you have to keep batting afterwards. Just, <laughs> you got to keep playing. Keep right back not, in there. It's just a ball. That's baseball. Let's, you know, we yeah. actually uh, we modified our rules to account for increased velocity. Um, Eighteen eighty six catcher's mitt is, uh, if you want to be period specific, it's very similar to our vintage gloves, but it has quite a bit more padding. But you know. Uh, we we took the cue from Bay Area. They had some guys that, that broke some fingers, and so we decided to uh, level up to the 1915 glove. Um, and you can check it out. Uh, it's the Shoeless Joe brand 1915 catcher's mitt. Um, so it's essentially a pillow, and it has laces. And it doesn't have a web per se, but it had some like glove lacing that goes across. Um, but to try to make it a little more difficult we uh, regulate that that lacing has to be removed um so you know it's still it's a 1915 glove it's got a lot more padding um i catch i'm i'm the behind and i tell my my fielders frequently i don't know how you crazy fools do it using that little glove it's just i don't want to be out there i'd rather be behind the plate with uh with no shin guards and just use that big glove that's better for me i'm i'm looking at the glove and it looks like a big butt a, a big sideways <laughs> yep. butt. Uh, yep. That is a big pillow. Lots of padding in that. Uh, I just, I was just at uh, the Doc Adams Festival at Old Beth Page and saw my first uh, '80s baseball game, and and that mitt they were using as the catcher was a couple of sheets of paper. I mean, it wasn't anything like this, and uh, <clears throat> definitely. Yeah. But they didn't have guys, or maybe they did. You think they had guys throwing it in the eighties, back in the eighteen eighties? They may have. They they built the they built men differently back then. You know, it was the expectation. You handle it. And so uh, when I came onto the Highlander scene, I remember my very first practice. We were just taking some infield, and you know, I'm I'm 38 years old, but I, I did play college ball. But that was 20 years ago, um, and I fielded a ball. And instinctively, I just rocked and fired. And as soon as it left my hand, I thought, oh, my God, 
like, I'm going to kill this man. And so he just <laughs> let it go by him. Um, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, but our first vintage match that I ever played, you know, I'm, I'm the behind. And I talked to my infielders before the game. I said, hey, if somebody steals, do you want me to throw it, throw it? Or do you want me to just get it there? And and Kentucky, our, our shortstop, in his unique way, he said, Ripper, just get it to me. I'll stick it. I said, okay. Uh-huh. And so I think it was the second inning that somebody took off for second base. I just you know popped up and fired, put that ball right on the base, and it hit his hand so damn hard, but that ball didn't move. And we had a caught stealing, and it was a miracle. I don't know that we've ever had one since. Yeah, I don't think so. We uh we have this thing where, in common sense, when we're talking about gameplay, we say things like, okay, the throw from third to first, we're going to throw it over there maybe with a hop, with something on it, but at least a hop to slow it and give yeah. the first baseman a mm-hmm. chance or whatever. But all of that goes out the window as soon as you muff it a little bit because then they're coming <laughs> up and they're firing as hard as you can, and the first baseman's like, what are you doing? I can't yep. catch that. Yep. Yeah. Chris has more experience than any of us uh, catching. Probably he's at first base all the time. Chris, how do you feel? Uh, just bring it, bring it. We got to get the guy out. Oh, just bring man. it. Uh, there you go. Now, Jim, when Jim's not on the, in, in the box, you know, being a hurler, he'll play second base and nobody throws harder uh, to me uh, than Jim does from second base. It's like, okay, here it comes. Bam, you know, so I, I haven't broken any fingers yet or anything, but yeah, exactly. So, um, but our, our infielders, uh, they, they, they know, they, they know what we're up against over there. So, uh, but like I said, you know, it, we got to get the guy out. So whatever it takes. It's one of the things that's great about this game. You take for granted when you watch modern baseball, how like mm-hmm. all these little parts, moving parts that are just, I mean, they dig things out of the dirt, no problem with that big old glove. And it looks like cheating because it is. You look at what is involved for a caught stealing to happen. Pitcher has to throw a catchable throw that's catchable with that catching glove. The catcher has to throw it all the way down. You catch it with your basically bare hands and apply a tag into cleats with your knuckles. You know, before the runner gets there, it is a lot of things that have to happen without even a ball in play. And so that's what makes this game so so much more exciting, I think. Every little element requires perfection. Absolutely, Chris. Let me ask the you. The can of corn had not yet been invented in 1886. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you see the can openers back then? That would have meant something different, right? Exactly. Uh, Chris, let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, first, sure. first question: uh, How did you get the nickname Glove Box? Uh, well, um, we had a couple of players that were forgetting their gloves. Um, I have a couple of extra gloves, so I would, you know, I'd loan them out. And I, I basically told them, hey, you know, you've got this thing uh, right in front of the passenger in your car. It's called the glove box. Take your glove, put it in that box, and, uh, and you'll never forget it. And, and to this day, I carry, a, I carry one around in the, in the uh, glove box. So um, that's, that's what needs to be done. Uh, that's how I got my name. So originally it was sticks, and then that didn't really stick. So uh, glove, it became glove box. So. Does everybody use the glove box now? I would like to think so, um, except for one guy. He we he still has yet to get his glove. 
So uh, every game, it's uh, Chris. Do you have a glove I can borrow? Yeah. Here you uh, there's always that one guy. There's always that, that one, one guy. You can't get away from it because if he That's eventually right. gets his glove, then you'll just get somebody new on the team, and it'll just it just happens. Chris, the other question I wanted to ask you is: Can you give me an a scouting report of Jim's pitching style as if you were just a hitter? Jim, I will say this: um, Ace as as, as his nickname is, he's a pitcher. Okay, the the guy that we uh, uh, talked about that actually hit uh, Ace in the in the arm there, he's he's a thrower. You know, he, just, <laughs> he just throws as hard as he can. But um, and I've had uh, you know some of my coworkers that are in the uh, in vintage baseball. Uh, one of them plays for the Temecula team. Uh, he says, yeah, Ace is a pitcher. Ace is a smart pitcher. Um, he's, he's got a lot of good junk that he throws a lot of breaking balls. Um, and he's, he's just smart and he, and he's spot on with his accuracy. I think what Chris is trying to say is I don't throw that hard. <laughs> no, no, that's neither, <laughs> neither did Greg Maddox, but Greg how Maddox. is, but how is your, uh, control? It's, his control is, is about as good as it's going to get uh, in, in terms of our league. He's, he's got better control than just about everybody. Nice. Jim, you're probably what pitching like the whole game. Ace, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, he, he does. He does pitch the whole game. But, um, you know, I've, I've caught Ace, you know, more than anybody on our team. And what Ace does, uh, aside from pitching smartly, is he mixes up his arm angles. He mixes up his timing. He utilizes the quick pitch better than any hurdler in our league. And that's dependent upon me giving him a nice throw right back at his chest, not too hard where he's going to clank it, you know, a good throw where he can just catch it and, you know, stutter step and whip it right back in there. Uh, so he utilizes all the tools and rules uh, to his benefit. Now, uh, Jim, being that you're going to see the, the people in your league frequently throughout your season, are, is there a particular team or a particular player that gives you fits at the plate that doesn't oh, matter if you're on that day? It doesn't there's, matter. To... There's one player. It's kind of a funny story. Chris, the, the guy we were talking about, curator, uh-huh. um, who I have a lot of respect for that guy and all the work he puts into the league. Um, for some reason, I hit him every time. <laughs> and he's like a <laughs> he's like a personal friend. Like He's a friend of – he would come over to my the house for dinner. Tap. And I just hit him tap. every time. And it's like it's in my mind. It's in his mind, and I think I've probably hit him six or seven times. Um, there are other other guys in the league who are just, you know, standout batters. That uh, there's there's a particular guy uh, on the Arrowhead team who took me deep twice on two pitches that couldn't have been more different. Um, you know, a, a submarine four seamer that was at the top of the zone, first pitch of the at bat, he took me deep. I said, all right, I will switch that up. And the next pitch of the at-bat, I threw an overhand Ephus curveball that was probably 45 miles an hour. And he stepped, paused, and then swatted it out with just his hands. I threw him two pitches, and he had two home runs. And I don't know how I could have done him any more differently than that. And I mean to tell you, that curveball was four inches off the dirt and on the outside corner, and he hit it out anyway. Wow. He didn't even want to wait for another one. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there's there's some players out there that you remember as a pitcher for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, uh, before we get you guys out of here, I'd like to go through all three of you and have you, and we'll start with uh, let's start with Chris. Have you tell us what 
your baseball experiences all the way from your very first baseball all the way up until now? Well, when I first started playing, believe it or not, Richard Nixon was in his first term as president. So 1970, Little League, played through Little League, played Pony League, Colt League, played high school ball, uh, played at Cerritos College a bit, um, the, uh, uh, and then played a lot of travel ball. I haven't stopped playing. Um, I, I had a couple of years where I was hurt in 2009 where I didn't play for five years, um, but it, it's been you know, pretty much nonstop in some shape or form. You know, whether it be softball or baseball or, or vintage baseball in my whole life. So I'm, I'm 60 now. So, What did it look like when you were trying to play baseball in your neighborhood before the Little League even existed? When you were trying to gather up as many of your friends as possible, not being able to get 18 friends together. Uh, what did those games look like? We had a game called the tennis ball game where we played in a corridor at the school. And uh, we used a, uh, a plastic bat, and um, we threw against a wall. Um, I had four friends, that, and we just did this uh, religiously, uh, really. I mean, it was uh, until the streetlights came on. We, we just, we never stopped. And uh, so you had very limited fielders. So what were some of the rules that you had to go by? Obviously, you had ghost runners. Yeah, we had ghost riders, of course. Yeah, um, and then of course, if you hit it out of the corridor, it was a home run, um, a double. Uh, it was a ball that actually went through the hallway, and uh, we really didn't have a triple. And uh, because we were playing with a tennis ball, thank God there were windows all over the place, but we never broke a window. So, um, and that was uh, you know when we're not playing little league. You know, like I said, I started little league when I was seven years old. You know, so I, I got an early start. Uh, Jim, same question to you. Yeah, my, I mean, started in T-ball when I was probably four, and I played through all the Little League and Pony League, a little bit in high school, although I stopped playing in high school um, and started up again after college, after I had kind of moved out and got a job and had free weekends and all that again. Uh, joined up some Woodbat Leagues when I lived in Orange County. Uh, after moving to Arrowhead, uh, hadn't played in a couple of years, but then we uh, we started this league up, so... That was uh, pretty much my, my history. And Joe? Yeah. Um, similar to these guys, I, I started playing when I was extremely young. Uh, my first, oh, God, I was just a, a little, you know, nuclear reactor of energy when I was, a, when I was very small. And uh, my sister joined the local co-ed softball league where the minimum age was six. Um, but I was four at the time. And they just said, yeah, he can play. You know, it's fine. Um, but I played through, you know, high school. I played college at the, the Azusa Pacific University, uh, like I said, about 20 years ago. Um, did a little bit of coaching after college uh, in high school. Um, took some time off from ball, uh, you know, raising my family. Um, got back into it. And I'm so happy that I did uh, sort of rekindled my, my love for playing uh, baseball. And so, you know, I, I not only play um, vintage, uh, the vintage baseball, but I play uh, in a modern league as well, um, Sunday ball. It's a lot of fun. Would that too. All right. Hey, we want to thank you guys for coming on the show, uh, responding to a, a message from a podcast you've never heard of before. 
Uh, no, we listen to it religiously. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's what they all say. <laughs> that's that's what they all say just before they're about to be uploaded to the internet. Uh, we really appreciate you guys coming in. Uh, we love listening to vintage baseball stories from all over uh, the country. Every region does it a little bit different, and. Uh, we just want everybody to come together and do it the same way. No, we don't. We want everybody to do it the way they're doing it. Uh, you guys seem to have a handle on what you're doing. In fact, I have in my notes here that I'll be contacting Mr. Johnson from uh, the Smudge Pots, seeing if we can fit him into this uh, this season before we're done here coming up in December. So, uh chris joe jim we appreciate all three is uh thanks for coming in west blew it he missed it i hope he had something really important going on we were about to make him a star Damn it. <laughs> hey, thank you guys. we appreciate you guys uh thank you seriously you know we we want to promote our league but you know yeah. our love for vintage baseball is uh we're we're happy that it's shared so uh so much across the country and it's you know it's gaining in popularity. It's no longer just that that Conan O'Brien sketch where he's you know it's funny yeah, but you know it's it's gaining in popularity. Um, and especially in Southern California, we have some other towns here that have been contacting us about wanting to start up their own clubs for their own cities. Uh, so it's growing. And thank you for for hosting us. We really appreciate it. Funny Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Hey. Yeah. Fun, funny thing about the Conan O'Brien sketch is I went to Old Beth Page where they did that sketch and the umpire that was in that sketch walked right in front of me. This was just in June. No, he, he looks the exact same as he did in that sketch. His hair is just a little grayer. Other than that, the exact umpires never change. <laughs> and I said, I said, Oh, I was just talking to uh, the woman that was next to me. I was, I was interviewing. I'm like, Oh, that's the umpire from the Conan O'Brien sketch. And he heard me and he turned and he just said, I swear that's the only thing I'm ever going to be remembered for. <laughs> he didn't seem very happy about Gary, <laughs> Gary Monty is a class act of a guy and unfortunately will be like just chiseled into the history of vintage baseball thanks to that sketch. So, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, uh, guys, don't be strangers. Uh, like, we would, I would love to hear more about the upcoming season and how that season's going and your campaign to defend your championship. So, I mean, I, I think uh, we all benefit from, from staying informed as, as to what's going on because, you know, there are clubs here on the East uh, in the Midwest that are like young enough and crazy enough and have no responsibilities to make a trip across <laughs> the country to play vintage baseball. Well, we have one of and them. Barnstorm. <laughs> Let's yeah. go. Barnstorm yeah. out here. We'd love it. We, and and I think the only way that we can all learn about it is by staying connected. So keep doing what you're doing, fellas. Sure. All right, gentlemen. Excellent. You guys have a good night and uh, take care. Rudy, take us out. Well, for the barrel roller, I'm the Swamp Fox. We're telling you to keep it station to station, folks, and we'll see you out in the field. Download everything. <laughs>